Chapter 15 of Frigid Fracas by Mac Reynolds. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dale Grothman. Budapest, basically, had changed little over half a millennium. The Danube, seldom blue except when seen through the eyes of a twosome between whom Spark had recently been struck, still wandered its way, dividing the old, old town of Pest from the still older town of Buda. Where the stream widens, there is room for the one hundred and twelve acres of Margitsugat, or Margaret Island, to the west world. Down through the ages, through Celts and Romans, Slavs and Hungs, Turks and Magyars, none have been so gross as to use Margitsugat for other than a park. Buda, lying to the west of the Danube, is of rolling hills and bluffs, of ancient towers, fortresses, castles, and walls which have suffered through a hundred wars, a score of revolutions. It dominates the younger, more dynamic pest, which stretches out on the flat plains to the east, so that though you stand on the Hamishartidi hill of Buddha and strain your eyes, you are hard put to find the furthest limits of pest. The jet port was on the outskirts of Pest. The craft carrying Nadine Har, Joseph Mauser, and Max Mance settled in for a gentle landing, the autopilot more delicate far than the human eye served by the human hand. Max, his eyes glued to the window, said, Well, gee, it doesn't look much different than a lot of other towns we passed over. Nadine looked at him and laughed. She alone of the three of them had ever been outside the boundaries of the Westworld, having attended several international medical conventions. Over the years, the frigid fracas had laid its chill on tourism, so that now travel between Westworld and Soveworld was all but unknown, and even visiting the Newt World was considered a bit far out and somewhat suspect of going beyond the old-time way of doing things, even among the uppers. Securing a passport for a middle's trip, not to speak of a lower's, involves such endless bureaucratic red tape as to be nonsensical. Nadine said to Joe's Batman, What did you expect, Max? Well, I didn't know, Miss Herr. I mean, Dr. Herr. Kind of gloomier-like. Shucks, I've seen this here town on telly a dozen times. And seeing is believing, Joe muttered cynically. It looks as though we have a reception committee. He looked at Nadine. Are we supposed to know each other? She shrugged and made a move. It would be somewhat strange if we didn't, seeing that we flew over in the same aircraft and were the only passengers to come this far. He nodded, and as the plane came to a halt, helped her from her chair, even as the plane's ladder slipped out and touched the ground. Joe grunted and said, as though to himself, You realize that for all practical purposes, there hasn't been any improvement in aircraft for a generation? Nadine looked at him from the side of her eyes, even as they descended. That's what I keep telling you, Joe. We've become ossified. When a society, afraid of change, adopts a policy of maintaining the status quo at any cost, progress is arrested. Progress means change. He grinned at her. Sure, sure, sure. Please, no more lectures, teacher. Let what's already in my head stew a while. 
On the ground, Nadine was met by one contingent from the embassy and from the Sov world authorities, and Joe and Max by another. Joe became occupied, hardly more than noticing that she had been whisked away by a hover limo, ornately bedecked with official flags and stars. Joe, no longer holding military rank in spite of his mission, was in Mufti, and restrained himself from returning the salute when greeted by two fresh young lieutenants from the embassy, and a bemetalled lieutenant colonel in Sov-world uniform, whose tight-waisted tunic reminded Joe of that worn by Colonel Lajos Arpad, the military attaché Joe had come across twice in the Westworld fracases, and who Frank Hodgson had branded an espionage agent. Joe swore again inwardly that these Hungarian officers must wear girdles under their uniforms, and wondered vaguely if they did so in combat. The lieutenants, who could have been twins, so alike were they in size, bright, smiling faces, uniform, and words of welcome, saluted Joe, shook hands, and then turned to introduce him to the Sov-world officer. One of them said, Major Mauser, may we present to you Lieutenant Bella Koseth of the Pink Army. They were, evidently, using Joe's old title of rank as if he were retired rather than dismissed from the category military. It meant little to Joe Mauser. The Sov officer clicked his heels, bowed from the waist, extended his hand to be shaken. His waist might be pinched in like that of a girl of the 19th century, but his hand was dry and firm. The fame of Joseph Mauser has penetrated to the proletarian paradise, he said, his voice conveying sincerity. Joe shook and said, Pink Army? I thought you called it. The colonel was indicating a hover limousine with a sweeping gesture that would have seemed overly graceful had not Joe felt the grip of the man only a moment earlier. Kosef interrupted him politely. The plane was a trifle late, and the banquet we have prepared awaits us, Major. A multitude of my fellow officers are anxious to meet the famed Joe Mauser. Would it surprise you to know I have replayed a score of times your celebrated holding action on the Louisiana Military Reservation? Such! Unbelievable! With but a single company of men! Joe looked at him blankly. Celebrated? Joe couldn't but remember the fracas the mincing Hungarian was talking about. When the front had collapsed, Joe, then a captain, had held his position in the swamps, while his superiors were supposedly reforming behind him, actually, while they were frantically trying to reach terms with the enemy. One of the Westworld lieutenants laughed at Joe's expression. You're going to have to get used to the fact that there are as many fracas buffs over here, sir, as there are back home. The Sove Colonel wagged a finger at him. But no, you misunderstand completely, Lieutenant Anderson. We study the bloody fracases of the West, following the campaigns of such tacticians as your Marshal Stonewall Cogswell goes far toward the training of our own pink army in its, um, fracases. That brought up a dozen questions in Joe's mind, but first he turned and indicated Max, who had been standing behind, his eyes wide, and taking in the luxurious airport, the vehicles about it, the buildings, the airport workers, few in number though they be, the road leading to the city beyond. Joe said, Gentlemen, may I present Max Manns? The faces of the lieutenants went blank, 
one of them coughed as though apologetically the sov colonel looked from joe to max and then back again his face assumed that expression so well known to joe for so very long the aristocrat looking at one of the lower classes as though wondering what made the fellow tick kosif said but surely this uh chap is a servant one of your what do you call them uh lower max blinked unhappily and looked at joe joe mauser said evenly i had heard that the soul world was a utopia of the proletariat however gentlemen max mance is my friend as well as my assistant the three officers murmured some things stiffly to max who a lower born was not overly nonplussed by the situation zen he knew the three were upper caste what was major mauser getting into a tizzy about he was given the seat in front where the chauffeur would have been and the others took places in the rear one of the lieutenants dialing the hover car's destination joe mauser said i am afraid my background is hazy colonel kosith you mentioned the pink army you also mentioned your own fracases i knew you maintained an army of course but i thought the fracas was a west development in fact your military attaches are usually on the scornful side the two lieutenants grinned but kosith said seriously major as always nations which hold each other at arm's length use different terminology to say much the same thing it need not be confusing if one digs below to find reality perhaps for a moment we four can lower barriers enough for me to explain that whilst in the west world you hold your fracases to he began enumerating on his fingers one settle disputes between business competitors or between corporations and unions two to train soldiers for your defense requirements three to keep bemused a potential dangerous lower class i object to that colonel one of the lieutenants said hotly the sov officer ignored him four to dispose of the more aggressive potential rebels by allowing them to kill each other off in the continual combat that sir is simply not true the lieutenant blurted joe couldn't remember if he was anderson or dixon even their names were similar joe said evenly and your alternative the hungarian shrugged the proletarian paradise maintains two armies major one of veterans for defense against potential foreign foes and named the glorious invincible red army or the red army for short one of the lieutenants murmured dryly and the other composed of less experienced proletarians and their techno-intellectual and sometimes even party officers this is our pink army wait a moment joe said what's a proletarian the lieutenant who had protested the sov officer's summation of the reasons for the west world fracases laughed dryly kosith stared at joe you are poorly founded in the background of the sov world major joe said deliberately colonel kosith when i learned of my assignment i deliberately avoided cramming unsifted information i decided it would be more desirable to get my information at the source uncontaminated by our own west world propaganda one of the stiff-necked twins both of whom joe was beginning to find a bit too stereotyped west world adherents said sir 
I must protest. The West does not utilize propaganda. Of course not, Kosuth said, taking his turn at a dry tone. He said to Joe, I admire your decision. Obviously a correct one. Major, a proletarian is, well, you could say, um, a lower lower, Anderson, or Dixon said. Not exactly, the so protested. Let us put it this way. Marx once wrote that when true socialism had arrived, the formula would be from each according to his abilities and to each according to his needs. Unhappily, due to the fact that the proletarian paradise is surrounded by potential enemies, we have not as yet established this formula. Instead, it is now from each according to his abilities and to each according to his contribution. Consequently, the most useful members of our society are drawn into the ranks of the party and, contributing the most, are most highly rewarded. The party consists of somewhat less than one percent of the population. And is for all practical purposes hereditary, Anderson or Dixon said. Kosuth, in indignation, parroted unknowingly the lieutenant's earlier words. That, sir, is simply not true. Joe said, soothing over the ruffled waters, and the, what did you call them, techno-intellectuals? They are the second most useful members of society, our technicians, scientists, although many of these are members of the party, of course, teachers, artists, pink and red army officers, and so forth. Max looked around from the front seat. Well, gee, that sounds just about like uppers, middles, and lowers to me. Joe Mauser cleared his throat and said to the Hungarian, who was glaring at Max, And the pink army? But Kosuth bit out to Max. Don't be silly, my man. There are no classes in the proletarian paradise. Yeah, Max said, and back in the West World we've got people's capitalism, and people own the corporations. Yeah. That'll be all, Max, Joe said, getting in before the two lieutenants could snap something to the feisty little man. Joe had already decided that the lieutenants were both uppers, and was somewhat surprised at their lowly rank. Kosuth brought his attention back to Joe. We're almost to our destination, Major Mauser. However, briefly, some of the more recent additions to the so world, particularly in the more backward areas of southern Asia, have not quite adjusted to the glories of the proletarian paradise. Both the lieutenants chuckled softly. Kosuth said, So it is found necessary to dispatch punitive expeditions against them. A current such expedition is in the Kunlun Mountains, in an area once known as Sinkiang to the north, Tibet to the south. Kyrgyz and Kazitz nomads in the region persist in rejecting the party and its program. The Pink Army is in the process of eliminating these reactionary elements. Joe was puzzled. He said, You mean in all these years you haven't been able to clean up such a small element of enemies? Kozith said stiffly, My dear Major, please recall that we are limited to the use of weapons pre-1900 in accord with the Universal Disarmament Pact. To be blunt, 
it is quite evident that foreign elements smuggle weapons into tibet and other points where rebellion flares so that on some occasions our pink army is confronted with enemies better armed than themselves these bandits of course are not under the jurisdiction of the international commission and while we are limited they are not perhaps one of the lieutenants said they don't want to clean them up if they did the sov equivalent of the fracas buff wouldn't be able to spend his time at the telly watching the progress of the glorious pink army against the reactionary foe joe under his breath parroted the words of the sov officer that sir is simply not true max who had been largely staring bug-eyed out the window at the passing scene said hey the car's stopping is this it the end of chapter fifteen of frigid fracas by mac reynolds read by dale grothman